0: Well, good morning, Crossview Church. It's good to be with you. For those that don't know me, I'm Dan DeRoshi, one of the pastors on staff. And today I'm excited that we celebrate our fourth uh, Sunday of Advent. So we have four candles lit now. Uh, We celebrate the joy, the hope, and the peace and the love of God during this time. So today we're going to be focusing on the peace that God gives us as we prepare our hearts for Christmas Eve. So you're sitting there and that chime or that alert on your phone goes off and it's all you can do to not grab it right away and look and see what the message is. Or you're sitting in a waiting room and you have some time to kill and you, the only thing you can do is rip out that phone and look and check Facebook one more time or to see what's happening out there in the cyber world. That pull, that draw is intentional. It's something that app designers call captology. In his book, Hooked, How to Build a Habit-Forming Product, Nir Al, a game designer and professor at Stanford explains why applications like Facebook are so effective. A successful app, he writes, creates a persistent routine or a behavioral loop. The app both triggers a need and provides a momentary solution to it. Feelings of boredom, loneliness, frustration, confusion, and indecisiveness often instigate a slight pain or irritation inside of us that prompt an almost instantaneous and often mindless action to soothe the negative sensation. This is something that app people build in. They build in to try to grab us and captivate us. And it works because we can't resist when that alert goes off. We can't resist that moment of nothing to do, to take and whip out our phone to see what's happening in the world. This hunger inside of us has to be satisfied by that glance of the app. And when we don't satisfy it, it aches, it bothers us, it causes us to want to dig deeper. In our passage today, we're going to see a fascinating character who's kind of like that app, Hunger. Not only does he stand out amongst other biblical characters in the Bible story, but he also represents that hunger in a soul that won't leave us alone. That restlessness that we have inside of us that desperately is looking for something to soothe, something to ease, something to bring peace. We need relief. And this man's life points to a soul relief that every human being longs for. A peace to the restlessness of heart. Something that we all are longing to give that our text calls the consolation of Israel. So it answers the question, is there peace for a restless soul? Is there peace for a restless soul? Am I loved? Am I accepted? Can I be healed? Can I be restored? Can I be forgiven? These are the issues that haunt the human heart and cause us to desperately look for relief. And relief is here. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 2. If you have a Bible, please open to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to be focusing on verses 25 to 32. If you are using a sanctuary Bible, I'll be on page 909. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is about three-quarters of the way through. You'll see Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Also, if you are using our Church Center app, all of the passages and sermon notes are listed right there for you to fill in. So I encourage you to do that if you are an app person. If you're sensing that app hunger and you can't let go of your phone, now you can go ahead and do that. First thing we're going to look at in this text is Simeon's Paradox. There's a man here named Simeon. Let's take a look. Read verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. So in this text, we see a few things about Simeon. We see that he was righteous and devout. But before I get there, this man Simeon worked in what was known as the temple. It was like the church of that day. He was a priest. He served in the temple. And one of his duties that he had is when new babies were born in the the people of Israel, they brought them to the temple and he dedicated children to the Lord. And so this is part of his duty. And so he was on duty at this time as the priest. And as we look at what this verse says, it tells us an awful lot about him. First of all, it says he was righteous and devout. That means he cared about the things that God cares about. He cared about what was on God's heart. He longed to represent God's thinking in this world. He longed to be a representative of God's actions, his heart his concerns in the world today. He wanted his life to be a perfect reflection of God. And so his desire was to live a righteous and devoted life. I'm thinking if you talk to him, he'd probably say, don't look at me, look to God. Let God be the one that you look to. He committed and gave his life to this. We see something else about this man. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting with expectancy to what God promised. We've been looking over this series of Songs of Christmas about the different prophecies for thousands of years. God's pro- people were promised that one day God would send a Messiah, his son, who will bring a healing to soul hunger who will take a sinful broken soul and restore it back to the holy God, who will be the one who will pay the penalty for our sins that we can be right with God. This one is coming. He's going to come. And the people of God waited thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And Simeon never gave up. He knew this would happen. He trusted what God said. If God said it, it would happen. So he waited for this soul-satisfying comfort for the people of God, the one who would take incomplete hearts and make them whole. He knew that this Messiah was coming. And what makes Simeon so amazing is that he believed. He never gave up. He never said after time went by, you know, maybe this is all a sham. He took God at his word, and he knew that it would happen. Verse 25 says something else about Simeon. It says that the Holy Spirit was on him. And the wording here isn't just a one-time experience, but it means that Simeon lived his life in the power of the Holy Spirit. He lived his life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've been thinking about that phrase the last few weeks. What does it mean for a Christian to live their life in the power of the Holy Spirit? I think there's a couple elements to it. It's staying connected to God through prayer and his word. But it's also this submission to God's will and his way. It's what John the Baptist said when he said, He must increase and I must decrease. His will must take precedent over my will. His ways and desires must come first in my life. And submitting to that is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you hear a situation about somebody who did something wrong and your knee-jerk reaction is to go and confront them with it. Living a life in the power of the Spirit maybe means that you pause and you talk about that with God before you go talk to human beings about God. Maybe it's you're facing a big decision and you're trying to decide what to do. And you carve out time to get before God and and to pray. And that prayer, not only are you asking God for guidance, but just by doing that, by carving out that time to pray, you're saying to God with action, your ways are more important than my ways. I want to do what you're calling me to do, not just what I feel like I should do. Maybe there's that relationship that's gone sideways. And it'd be really easy just to let it sit there. But God's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you need to reconcile, you need to reconcile, you need to humble yourself and reconcile. Submitting to that is living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Another way to live in the power of the Holy Spirit is through these three words. Lament, admit, and confess. Lament, admit, and confess. It looks like this. Maybe you are depressed at Christmas time. Maybe this is a time of year where you were just feeling down and depressed. You don't want anything to do with it. So what does a person, when they're in that spot as a Christian, do to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? The first thing is to lament. You go and you say, God, I don't want to give thanks. You get honest with God. You say, I do not want to celebrate and be happy in this time. I don't want anything to do this. I hate where I'm at in this place in my life. And you get really, really honest with God. Most There's a huge amount of the psalms that are lament psalms where the psalmist is pouring his heart out to God, saying, God, I don't want to live like this. I can't handle this anymore. And you get honest with God, and you pour out your heart to him in a lament. That honors God. That's walking in the power of the Spirit. And then you admit You be honest again. You say, God, I can't stand happiness right now. I don't like people. I don't want to be around people. You admit where you are, and then you confess. A lot of us are good at lament and admit, but we skip the confess part where we say, God, this feelings that I have, this harsh attitude, it's sinful and wrong. I acknowledge that, but I can't seem to change it. Will you come and help me? Will you give me the power to live the way you want me to live? Will you give me your patience? Will you give me your strength? Will you give me your love? Will you carry me right now? Will you heal me? Will you help me to live the life you want me to live? You see, that's living in the power of the Spirit, where you're connecting the God of heaven and his power with the reality of where your heart is in the here and now. That's how God's calling his children to live. And Simeon lived like that. He lived a life that was connected. So there's this paradox with Simeon though because we see a model of an example that we should follow in his life. We see him as being a person who is, the Holy Spirit is there. We see a person who trusted God and was waiting. We see a person who is righteous and devout. There's this good example for us, but there's also another paradox side to the Simeon story that stands out among others. Even though he's this great example that we should look at, he also reminds us that he represents every human being who knows that their only hope is in the mercy and the grace of God. Their only hope is in the mercy and grace of God. He longed for this Jesus to come because he knew the only way he could stand before a holy God is if someone stood in his place and paid the penalty for his sin. He knew that he couldn't do enough in his own strength to bridge that gap with a holy God, that he needed a righteousness that came from outside himself. He needed God himself to come. And so though he's this example, there's also this paradox side where he represents a needing humanity that desperately needs God to move or else we are done. When we look at Simeon's life, we can say that people like this are rare. People like this seem to be the exception. It's something we don't see a lot in people. Even in the lives of Christians, yet we want to to know God, we want to be known by God, we follow God, we like God, we respect God, but do we long for God? Do we ache to be in God's presence? Are we quick to be with him and ask him what he thinks and spend time in his presence Do we desire God above all things? Oftentimes we live our lives with phrases like, I got this. Or look out for number one. Or God only helps those who help themselves. And if we don't say those phrases, we act them out. We believe them. It's almost like our living theology is is centered in ourselves instead of centered in God. And I think a really great gift we could give ourselves this Christmas is that we ask God to show us our insufficiency. We ask God to show us our weakness. We ask God to show us what our life really is apart from him, how feeble we really are, and we come to the grips with our spiritual need. We come to the grips realizing that unless God comes and fills my life, there's no way I'm going to be able to live this life as a whole person. We need to get honest and ask God to show us the reality of that because it will drive us into a life that is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. So many times when we live that way, we look at things in this world and we place them higher than God, place them higher than his desires. And all of a sudden it leads to a spot where we view other people's opinions and the opinions of the world higher than we view God's opinion. D.A. Carson, a theologian, wrote this. He said, we are lost when human opinion means more to us than God's. I get concerned when I look at the church of Jesus Christ because I feel like we've drank the Kool-Aid of human opinion. And we look at the fact of human opinion and we place that higher than what God says in this word. So many people. You can, this is the time of year where you look at the the newspapers on the in the racks as you're going through pick and save to pay for your groceries. You see, this is a time where people tell you all sorts of things about God, all sorts of things about Jesus. All don't believe everything you hear. Look at this book. This is the truth. This is what you have to take your cue from. This is where you anchor your life. This is what God's reality is like. This is the truth. We have to anchor and base our lives in the truth. Simeon had that. And I think it's something that we need in the church restored today. Not only was Simeon's life a paradox, but Simeon had a promise given to him a pretty amazing promise look at verse 26 it said it had been revealed to him this is what makes him unique amongst bible characters it had been revealed to him simeon by the holy spirit that he would not see death before he saw the lord's messiah god promised simeon that you will not die before seeing God come to earth in the form of a human being. This prophecy that we've been looking at for thousands of years that we've been talking about, God coming to earth to save his people, Simeon, you're going to witness this. You won't die until this happens. You will be the one who sees this before your eyes. What a unique promise. He would not die before seeing this. We don't know how old Simeon is, but he was probably a very uh, elderly man. We don't know how long from the time he heard this promise to the time he was waiting, but can you imagine his job working daily in this temple, getting up in the morning, getting ready to go to work, wondering, will today be the day I see the Messiah? Will today be the day what God promised will come forward and we can see the consolation of Israel? Will today be the day that changes the course of history? from this point forward. And as couples brought in children for him to dedicate, he probably would wonder, is this the one? Is this the one who's going to come and save the people from their sins? Will it be today? And then that one amazing day happened. Look at verse 27. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God. When he saw this baby, he knew this is the one. Simeon knew this was the promise. He knew this was the one. This was God on earth in human form. The world would never, ever be the same from this moment forward. This was the course of history God changed. This is the one that God's been promising for thousands of years. And as one theologian wrote, With trembling arms, Simeon lifted the baby from the startled virgin, and in that moment, the world ceased to turn. With trembling arms, Simeon lifted the baby from the startled virgin, and in that moment, the world ceased to turn. Why? Because the longing and the desperation of the human soul was now looking at the cure, the peace, the solution. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Simeon? The one who will save, who will heal, who will restore, who will give new hearts. The greatest moment in history was happening right there before him. One of my favorite portraits is this. It's called Simeon's Joy, where you see It captures a little bit this joy of Simeon when he knows he's holding in his arms the child of God, son of God, son of man, Messiah who has come to save the people from their sins, to those who are far away from God, which is every human being, separated from God in a hopeless and helpless state. Now God, out of his love, does something. He sends his son in human form to earth to save people from their sin and bring them back In relationship with him, and now the moment has happened, and Simeon sees it the joy, the wonder, the amazement. See, this is what we celebrate at Christmas time, this is what it's all about. And once Simeon sees his promise fulfilled, he breaks out into praise and he sings this song this amazing song, verse 29 to 32. Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. With this baby in his arms, Simeon had to be experiencing a profound peace. He had to be experiencing a profound joy because he held within his arms the prince of peace. He held within his arms the joy of the world. He held within his arms the one who will come and bring people into right relationship with God. And he says in that moment in verse 29, I have arrived, I've seen it, now I can die. And I think it's partly because as he held a piece of heaven in his arms, his heart was so drawn to heaven itself that, it didn't, that earth no longer could satisfy. That when he tasted that moment that God fulfilled his promise, he sent this Savior, now everything on earth would just be less than what he's experiencing. And so he says, now I can just die, it's over, let me go. And be in your presence forever. I want to experience this. For the rest of my life and into eternity, nothing else could satisfy. You see, sometimes, as life in the here and now, as human beings, we buy into the great lie that all the stuff out there can satisfy the longings of our heart. And we leave this precious promised one of Israel in the dust, in our thinking, in our actions, in our desires. And allow this time at Christmas, especially if you're a Christian, to re engage the beauty of this promise. To re engage the fact that this is the one who brings the source of true life, a life everlasting. He is worthy and deserves first and foremost of our lives and nothing less. And nothing less will satisfy. I can die now. I don't need anything else that earth can offer. Why? Because his eyes have seen the salvation of God. His eyes saw Jesus. He saw what he's supposed to do. Notice it wasn't, I saw part of your salvation. He saw Salvation as a whole, total salvation for the human soul from sin and death. Christ alone, all we need is now here. Jesus is more than enough, totally sufficient to take care of every issue we have in terms of sin and separation from God. Listen to this, listen to this. Peace only comes in this life. When we, like Simeon, understand that life and salvation is Jesus plus nothing else. True peace in life only comes. Stillness for the restless soul only comes when we get to that place like Simeon where we realize that true life and salvation is Jesus plus nothing else. So many times as Christians we say, oh, yeah, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus, but I need Jesus and I need this and I need this and I need this and I need this and I need this. No, 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 no. All we need is Jesus Christ. He is all we need to settle our souls, to bring us to heaven, to lead us to everlasting life, to transform and change us. Every desire can be satisfied in him and him alone. Simeon's song goes on to say something profound in verse 31 and 32. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, meaning all ethnicities, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. See, what he's saying here is it's not just the consolation and peace of Israel. It's the consolation for every human soul that lives on earth. It's the consolation, the peace to every ethnicity out there. There's no more boundaries. God came and sent his son to earth to save humankind from their sin. And any person who repents and believes and invites Jesus Christ into their life will be saved and have the benefit of this gift forever and ever. Simeon would have held this baby tight. Simeon would have had a real hard time giving this baby back to Mary because he knew the preciousness of this gift. He knew that God was moving in a way that would change the world forever, and he sang his song. He invited this baby in. To receive salvation, all a person has to do is bring This Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into your arms and into your life, like Simeon did this baby. Have you done that? Have you gotten to a place where you realize that living life in your own strength is futile and is weary? God is calling you to something greater. God is calling you in this moment to ask forgiveness of your sin and repent and say, God, I want to turn from my life that chases all these things and I want to renew my life by following you. I believe in who you are. I believe in what you've done. And if you do that, you will be changed because God will take up residency inside you. Oh, I wish I could drive that into your hearts so you know and you understand and you live that out. And some of you are Christians, you're saying, yeah, I did that. Yeah, that's past. History. No, no. You need to rehearse that over and over again to know what God's done in your life. The biggest thing that we can see from this story of Simeon, when you look at that picture, you know what that means? That means the God of the universe interacts with his people. Do you get that? The God of the universe, the one who created it all, interacts and has relationship with his people because of what Jesus Christ has done. Do you see the wonder in that? God living within us. You might be saying that's true for Simeon, but not me. No, God still interacts with us today. Today. God speaks to us through his word. He guides us when we spend time with him. When we spend time in his presence, we are filled with his peace and his healing and his transformation and his love. And our hearts and souls become full with who he is and what he's done. And God is inviting us into that place. This Christmas season, God is inviting you into that place of his presence. Not only does God interact with his people, he saves us from our sin so we can have everlasting joy. Jesus is what the human soul longs for. Jesus is what the human soul craves. And all we have to do is ask him in and he fulfills. Let's pray we do that this Christmas season. God, what an amazing picture you give us in this person, Simeon. What an amazing reminder. Lord, I pray that you would protect us, people following after you, from the routine, the repetition, the ho hum attitude about what Christmas is all about. God, we bring our hearts before you and maybe we're not in a spot where we can fully embrace this, but will you create that within us? Will you change us? Would you help us to receive fully what this time of year means? Will you help us to receive fully what it means, the fact that you loved us so much and you saw us apart from you and you did something about it. You came to earth as one of us to teach us to live the perfect life on our behalf and go to a cross that would pay for our sin, that we could be one with you. Let the truth of this message explode in our hearts. Let us see ourselves as we truly are apart from you and let us long to be with you. God, will you create that longing? Will you give us this thirst? Will you give us this hunger to know you more deeply? Protect us from all the things that would rob the truth of that. And we submit our minds and our hearts before you to ask you to move powerfully in that way. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.